Hello and welcome to Folklore of the Universe, the podcast that's sponsored by AIR. I'm your host, Kyle. Welcome to episode 11, which is actually my favorite number, so hopefully this is a good one. This episode, we're going to be mixing up the format a bit. So I talked last episode about how I'm adding in a new segment, but here it is. I'm going to be doing a Monster of the Week style thing from here on out. How it's going to work is every episode before we get to the stories, I'm going to talk about some creature or monster or spirit from some folklore mythology from around the world. And we're going to talk about what it is, what it does, where it lives, and basically everything about it. For this, I do want to shy away from the more commonly known ones like dragons or centaurs or medusas, because I feel like most people are already pretty familiar with those, and I want to do things that are new for people, for you and for me, and that should hopefully make it more interesting. Also, I want to start mixing in, instead of doing a few shorter stories, I want to try doing one longer story every now and then, just so that I can cover more things and so that I don't have to avoid longer stories because they won't fit before. So now they will fit, sometimes, when I do them. So for this episode, we've got one story, it's a longer one, it's a Japanese one. For the monster of the week, I want to do the Plume Serpents of Mesoamerica. And then before all that, I also want to talk about fossils for a bit, and how those affect folklore and mythology. This part isn't a new segment or anything like that, I just want to talk about it this time because I think it's interesting. So let's get down to it, let's start talking about fossils and why those matter, and the effects they've had on folklore and mythology over the ages. A lot of creatures and monsters in folklore and mythology have actually been inspired off of fossils. I think I've talked about this before with the Bunyips from Australia, how those are inspired by either memories or bones of old Australian megafauna, which are now extinct. The classic example of this, though, is with dragons. The general uh, consensus, assumption, thought now is that dragons are based off of dinosaur fossils. Because when people find the bones of some extinct animal which clearly doesn't exist in the day-to-day life, Then they try and think, what could have left this bones behind? What sort of creature could have done it? And that's how they come up with things like bunyips and dragons. So, for example, if they find a T-Rex skull, they don't know what a T-Rex is or what it looks like, but they can see they've got a skull of a giant reptile, and they come up with the design of a dragon to explain where this came from. And this is why we've got dragons in both Europe and Asia, because they both independently found these dinosaur skulls, and came up with somewhat similar creatures that explain where these skulls came from. Another one is uh, cyclopses in Greek mythology coming from either mammoth or elephant skulls. If you look up a skull of an elephant or mammoth online, you'll see there's a big hole in the middle of it, which is where the trunk bits go. But if you're an ancient Greek person who doesn't, again, really know about how elephants work, then you're going to assume that is an eye socket, and it's just got one giant eye in the middle of its face, and that's, you know, hence the cyclops. Also, mammoth bones are thought to be an inspiration for where giants came from, because certain mammoth leg bones look an awful lot like human leg bones, just super big, so people thought that there were giant humans that were walking around, and that they left these bones behind. So I think all of this is really quite interesting, thinking about different mythological or folklore creatures, then trying to imagine where they came from, what might have inspired this creature idea, or why people came up with this, whether to explain fossils or some other reason. 
This actually ties into our next segment, so we're going to move on now to our Monster of the Week. This episode's one, like I said before, is the Plumed Serpent, or the Feathered Serpent, which, as the name implies, are these giant snakes with wings just behind their heads. They come from Mesoamerica, so it's Mexico-Central America region, and they were considered either to be mythological or supernatural entities, or as deities. So, for example, the Aztecs had the feathered serpent god Quetzalcoatl, whereas the Mayans had a similar one who was called Kukulkan. They were very prominent. You find a lot of feathered serpent depictions in pre-Columbian art and sculpture. In fact, at Chichen Itza, the big temple city in um, Mexico, the main iconic temple there that everyone thinks of when they hear Chichen Itza is uh, the temple of Kukulkan. And in front of it, there are these two feathered serpent heads. And I've talked about this before during the, um, the spring solstice special equinox episode, how there's this effect on the equinoxes that makes it look like the serpent is crawling down the steps to go towards the sacred cenote. And really, Quetzalcoatl and Kukulkan are sort of the same, different names for the same god. Sort of like how Greek and Roman religions had the same gods with different names that were kind of different, but really they're the same one. It's like this for this. Both feathered serpent gods were known as bringers of rain and as keepers and gods of knowledge and intelligence. Both were also associated with the planet Venus, which was very important in both Mayan and Aztec astronomy. Because of this, the feathered serpent is a pretty positive and good figure, because rain is good, it keeps your crops growing, and knowledge is good, because it means you know things. And knowing things is generally pretty good. Unless you're Jon Snow, I guess. So to tie it back into fossils is that these feathered serpents can kind of be seen like dragon-like figures of the pre-Columbian world. They are these giant flying reptiles. But there's actually could be a different fossil inspiration for these besides from dinosaurs. We found fossils of a prehistoric giant snake called Titanoboa, which lived in the um, mid to late Paleocene. And it could grow up to lengths of up to 42 feet long. So it's a big, big snake. And they've been found, the fossils, in northern Colombia, not that far away from Mexico. It's entirely feasible, then, that New World people found these giant snake fossils, and that's what inspired the legends of these feathered serpents, which eventually became worshipped as deities. Like many things with folklore that I talk about, we can't know any of this for sure, but it does seem to be a very plausible theory, at least. But now we're going to move on from our monster of the week, or this time it was a god of the week. It's pretty cool, not really a monster. Like, if there's actual flying serpents going around, I would love that. Holy shit, that'd be great. But I'm going to move on to our story now. And this episode, like I said, I've got a Japanese one. This story is called Momotaro. If you'll believe me, there was a time when the fairies were none so shy as they are now. That was the time when beasts talked to men when there were spells and enchantments and magic every day, when there was great store of hidden treasure to be dug up, and adventures for the asking. At that time, you must know, an old man and an old woman lived alone by themselves. They were good and they were poor, and they had no children at all. One fine day, What are you doing this morning, good man? says the old woman. Oh, says the old man, 
I'm off to the mountains with my billhook to gather a bundle of sticks for our fire. And what are you doing, good wife? Oh, says the old woman. I'm off to the stream to wash clothes. It's my washing day, she adds. So the old man went to the mountains, and the old woman went to the stream. Now, while she was washing the clothes, what should she see but a fine ripe peach that came floating down the stream? The peach was big enough, and rosy red on both sides. I am in luck this morning, said the dame, and she pulled the peach to the shore with a split bamboo stick. By and by, when her good man came home from the hills, she set the peach before him. Eat, good man, she said. This is a lucky peach I found in the stream and brought home for you. But the old man never got a taste of the peach. And why did he not? All of a sudden, the peach burst in two, and there's no stone to it but a fine boy baby where the stone should have been. Mercy me, says the old woman. Mercy me, says the old man. The boy baby first ate up one half of the peach, then he ate up the other half. When he had done this, he was finer and stronger than ever. Momotaro, Momotaro, cries the old man, the eldest son of the peach. Truth it is indeed, says the old woman, he was born in a peach. Both of them took such good care of Momotaro that soon he was the stoutest and bravest boy of all that countryside. He was a credit to them, you may believe. The neighbors nodded their heads and said, Momotaro is a fine young man. Mother, says Momotaro one day to the old woman, make me a good store of Kimidango. Which is the way that they call millet dumplings in those parts. What for do you want Kimidango? says his mother. Why? says Momotaro. I'm going on a journey, or as you may say, an adventure, and shall be needing the Kimidango on the way. Where are you going, Momotaro? says his mother. I'm off to the ogre's island, says Momotaro. To get their treasure, I should be obliged if you'd let me have the Kimidango as soon as may be, he says. So they made him the Kimidango, and he put them in a wallet, and he tied the wallet to his girdle, and off he set. Goodbye, and good luck to you, Momotaro, cried the old man and the old woman. Goodbye, goodbye, cried Momotaro. He hadn't gone far when he fell in with the monkey. Kia, kia, says the monkey. Where are you off to, Momotaro? Says Momotaro. I'm off to the ogre's island for an adventure. What have you got in the wallet hanging at your girdle? Now you're asking me something, says Momotaro. Sure, I've got some of the best millet dumplings in all Japan. Give me one, says the monkey, and I will go with you. So Momotaro gave a millet dumpling to the monkey, and the two of them jogged on together. They hadn't gone far when they fell in with the pheasant. Ken, Ken, said the pheasant. Where are you off to, Momotaro? Says Momotaro. I'm off to the ogre's island for an adventure. What have you got in your wallet, Momotaro? I've got some of the best millet dumplings in all Japan. Give me one, says the pheasant, and I will go with you. So Momotaro gave a millet dumpling to the pheasant, and the three of them jogged on together. They hadn't gone far when they fell in with the dog. Bow wow wow, says the dog. Where are you off to, Momotaro? Says Momotaro, I'm off to the ogre's island. What have you got in your wallet, Momotaro? I've got some of the best millet dumplings in all Japan. Give me one says the dog, and I will go with you. So Momotaro gave a millet dumpling to the dog, and the four of them jogged on together. By and by, they came to the ogre's island. Now, brothers, says Momotaro, listen to my plan. The pheasant must fly over the castle gate and peck the ogres. The monkey must climb over the castle wall and pinch the ogres. The dog and I will break the bolts and bars. 
He will bite the ogres, and I will fight the ogres. There then was a great battle. The pheasant flew over the castle gate. Ken, Ken, Ken! Momotaro broke the bolts and bars, and the dog leapt into the castle courtyard. Bow, wow, wow! These brave companions fought till sundown and overcame the ogres. Those that were left alive, they took prisoners and bound them with cords. A wicked lot they were. Now, brothers, says Momotaro, bring out the ogre's treasure. So they did. The treasure was worth having indeed. There were magic jewels there, and caps and coats to make you invisible. There was gold and silver, and jade and coral, and amber and tortoiseshell, and mother of pearl. Here's riches for all, says Momotaro. Choose, brothers, and take your fill. Kya, kya, says the monkey. Thanks, my lord Momotaro. Ken, ken, says the pheasant. Thanks, my lord Momotaro. Bow, wow, well, says the dog. Thanks, my dear lord Momotaro. The End What's really interesting about this story is that it's really similar to a couple of stories in the Grimm's Fairy Tales, the Thumbling ones, because both of these involve a couple who has no kids, who gets a magic baby, who starts off very, very small. Uh, Thumbling is small all the time. This, this Momotaro, that's his name, is born out of a peach, so he starts small. I think he grows big. But they still both are small. And then they both go on these epic, amazing adventures and get loads of money. So very interesting that we've got these two very similar stories on opposite sides of the planet, pretty much. Because of the distance between these, it's probably another case of the two cultures coming up with the stories independently. So it's just people being similar and thinking similar ways in different places again. We also see that he assembles sort of this Avengers team of animal companions, which also occurs in several European folklore and fairy stories. Although the cast is a little bit different for this one, which, you know, makes sense because of geography and different animals that are around. So for this one, of course, we've got the monkey, which makes sense because monkeys are smart, they're agile. We've got dogs, which makes sense because dogs are loyal, they're good companions. We've got a pheasant, which... Makes sense, because pheasants, they exist. So, you've got this quite interesting team versus ones that you might find in European folklore, which are quite different. This story has them fighting ogres, which are a fairly common demon monster in Japanese folklore, and are in culture depictions. They show up a lot. Very popular characters. Of course, these are not ogres like Shrek. They are very different from that. They're not green. I think uh, these ones are typically red in color. Uh, they've got fangs. They've got horns. So they do look like these kind of gnarly demon dudes, as opposed to Shrek, which is, he's, he's just Shrek. Which is, of course, ogre is just a translation for these creatures. I think a more accurate name for them is Oni, O-N-I. I think that's a Japanese name. And like, again, ogres is just one translation. They're also like, goblins or trolls or just big, brutish, gnarly dudes. That the, 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 There are parallels between them and European monsters, but they are definitely their own thing, and they have a lot of uh, unique distinctions between, between other things. So I don't know if all these are inspired by those mammoth bones or what. I don't know where these, where these all come from, but it could be. And a lot of cultures do seem to have these sort of similar monsters in them, these ogre, yoni-like guys, similar to how a lot of cultures have Bigfoot-like guys, 
Like in North America, there's the Bigfoot, obviously. Over in Asia, there's the Yeti. In Australia, there's the Yowie. So maybe it's just a common cultural idea of big troll dudes, Oni dudes, just walking around the countryside, guarding the treasure, and eating people. Speaking of treasure and all that, the introduction to the story is really similar to the introduction of the first ever story we looked at on this podcast, the Frog King one. I was talking about back in the past when life was more magical and there were more fairies and things like that and treasure. So I feel like this romanticization of the past is definitely a universal human concept for it to show up so frequently across so many different cultures. And this is why it's so valuable to look at folklore from so many different cultures, because if we can find these common parallels across these different ones, then it gives a lot of insight into how humans think and how we develop and interpret the world. So it is a very rewarding thing to look at all these in conjunction with each other. But I think that's about it. I think it's time to start wrapping up the episode. So I hope you've enjoyed this one. I hope you've enjoyed the new format with the Monster of the Week. I've got some pretty cool and fairly obscure things lined up, so it should be interesting at least. It won't be just the standard repeats of stuff you've already heard about. If you have any feedback or story requests or anything like that, shoot me an email at contactkyleshort at gmail.com, and I'll try and check that and get back to you. And... That is all, so hope you enjoyed this. I will see you next episode in two weeks' time, and goodbye!